Should you hire a consultant for your haunt? And how do you know where to begin? That's coming up on today's show. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunted attraction industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences worldwide. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, but mainly our free weekly industry newsletter. That's where you get the most value. Links to everything are in the show notes for that. We also have partner stations, and today's episode is from one of those partners, Haunt Topic Radio. Today, Scott Swenson explains what makes a great consultant, things to avoid when it comes to hiring the right one, and why you might not even need one. Today's episode is taken from a live masterclass, and you'll hear participants asking questions as well. If you want to join the conversation for the next masterclass, the link to join is in this episode's show notes. The session was moderated by Brian and Daryl. So I'm going to pass it over to Scott, and then you'll hear Brian and Daryl asking him questions, and then later on, participants and participant questions. Enjoy. When it comes to theme parks, um, this part of the world is really probably the new hub. Um, and in fact, they announced at IAPA last year that uh, this was th- their goal for, for Abu Dhabi was to shift a great deal of their economy um, away from oil and into tourism. And specifically um, where I'm staying right now, which is Yaz Island. And um, so I'm my hotel, if I look out in one direction, I'm looking at Warner Brothers World, which is the, the indoor Warner Brothers themed park, which just recently announced that they're doing a huge expansion um, that it will be Harry Potter themed. And then if I look out in the other direction, I see Ferrari World and Yaz Water World, which are two, uh, which is a water park. And of course, the first park here in Abu Dhabi, which was the indoor park based on the Ferrari intellectual property. So um, there's a lot. And then when when the project that I'm working on opens, that will be another major um, major attraction here in uh, in Abu Dhabi to bring people over. So it's they're they're kind of doing what they said they were going to do. That's good to see. Well, that's good when you come in as a consultant, though. You kind of want to see things like that happen. Oh, absolutely. And and the nice thing, you know, in working as a consultant is um, I'm actually I was actually subcontracted uh, to work on this on this project, and uh, so I have a, a layer of a layer of protection and a layer of support. Um, and, and then I still, but I still get to do the fun work. So, so that's a cool thing. Now, generally as a consultant, not necessarily for this project, but what is the role of a consultant in, let's say a haunt world? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I, uh, the way I look at it is the role of a consultant is basically to provide what any individual needs. So to to try to force fit a consultant's work into someone's project, specifically a haunt. I mean, let's be haunt specific here. If you think you have, if you've got everything you need to know about the the creative um, development of your haunt and how it's going to grow over the next few years, if you know exactly where your marketing is, if you know what your five-year plan looks like from a financial standpoint, you may not need a consultant. But what consultants can do uh, and what good consultants will do is they will work with the client to say okay here's what you need and then they will provide you with either a, a takeout menu style quote to say you know if i do this it will it will cost you this much if i do this it will cost you this much so that you can meet the needs of the client you know any consultant who comes in and says i know everything there is to know about everything is probably lying and uh, i would not i would not recommend i mean if i ever said that to any of my clients 
uh, the thing that would, I would follow up by saying is don't hire me because I, I, that's that's complete malarkey. Um, however, you know, different, different, like in my particular case, different clients look for different things from me. Sometimes, um, like for example, a top line consulting will be, they'll send me, here's three different, uh, here's three, well, or they'll say, give us, give us three to five different top line concepts because we want to change up our storyline. And so they will pay for just that. And I will do, you know, what I call one sheets, which are really about five, six sheets of just basic storylines and and some samples of what that may include uh, as far as operational and installation. And if that's all they need, great, they can run with it. Um, for some of my clients, I will then take that and develop that into a full, full-fledged venue flow. I can then develop that into casting and training for them um, and, and creative direction and working with their designers to make certain that we keep the same concept and idea from beginning to end, no matter what happens with budget and changes in schedule, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so like I said, different clients, don't, I don't want anybody who's, who's watching or listening to think of that when you say a consultant, consultants are all the same. We're not. And if anybody who says that, you know, here, I'm a consultant, here's what I'm going to do for you, is approaching it wrong. They need to say, I'm a consultant. What do you need? Because as a consultant, if I'm not meeting my clients' needs, if I'm not making them look good, I'm not a really good consultant, in my opinion. So from the client's point of view, uh, let's say I wanted to hire you as a consultant, what information should I have ready or should I have knowledge of other than... I'm told I need a consultant. What are you going to do? Well, my so if you were to come with me, come at me and ask those questions and say that, I would say, okay, well, first off, why did they say you needed a consultant? Uh, do you need someone to help you with your business plan? Do you need someone to help you with your creative development? Have you been doing the same, you know, basically the same show for five years and you need to shake it up and you need somebody who can come in with a fresh eye, look at what, look at the assets that you already have and help you build upon, you know, what already exists in your haunt. Um, so I, I kind of come back and I, and I know people think that I'm being cagey when I say things like this, but you know, if you don't know what you want, I don't know how to give it to you. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, and, and again, I'm more than willing to sit and, and I've done it many times, sit and talk through things with clients. And there are, there have been occasions where we come to the conclusion, you don't need a consultant. You've got everything you need already. You just need a little somebody to point you in the right direction. Um, there are other times where people will say, I don't know what I need. And then I'll start asking questions like, you know, do, uh, do you have a, do you have a space yet? If so, what size is it? Um, if you're still looking for a space, how much, you know, what's your budget going to look like? And we start to break it down into finding out what they need. And then I can put together uh, a list of what I can then in turn offer and what it will cost them, you know? Um, but every client for me at least, and I don't sure, I'm not sure all consultants work this way, but every client for me is a little bit different. I mean, like, you know, right now I'm working on this gigantic theme park attraction project, which my role is very specific. They, they needed a job done and I'm here to do it. Um, with a haunted attraction who just wants somebody to review what they've done, you know, that may be a one or two day project, which doesn't cost that much. Um, it, it's, I like to work with my clients to make certain that I'm giving them what they need and not giving them what I have to peddle. You know, I don't have a product per se. I don't come in and say, I'm going to give you this, this, and this. And some people think that that's suspicious 
they they don't necessarily trust that because they're like, well, you're just going to blow smoke until I pay you. But that's not it at all. My approach is I don't want to give you something you already got. You know, I, I I often say I work with I work with companies that provide talent, and what they'll do is they'll do all the casting and they'll hold the contracts on all the all the performers, and they will cover all the insurance for the performers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you've already got that, you don't need them. You know, the same is true with me. If you've got creatives that can write stuff for you and and find new visions and new um, new pathways that you can take, then use your internal people. It sounds like I'm trying to talk you out of using consultants. I'm not. If you need them, we are here. But a good consultant will will find out what you need and try to fill that void. And, you know, not all consultants are one size fits all. If you're looking for somebody, if you're looking for somebody who can help you with um, financial amortization over five years, I may not be the best person. You probably need more of an accountant. Um, But if you're looking for somebody who has an understanding of how to make your your story grow over five years. I've had a lot of experience with that working in theme park. Um, you know, we would we would take haunts and they would last three to five years before we would change them out for Hallow Scream. And so we tried to serialize the story like like the old uh, the old horror films. So here's the sequel and here's the prequel and here's the because that way we could cross utilize the assets that we already had, so we wouldn't have to cr- have this huge capital investment every single year. Um, and we could we could have a smaller capital investment, move things around, shift. You know, something as basic as reversing the flow of a haunt uh, creates a whole new story. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, what you're when you with me at least, what you're really investing in first and foremost is my experience. You know, and the things that I have done, I can. I can create and and ideate and even help brainstorm very efficiently because I've done it for years. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so so it, it's sort of like that. It's sort of like that joke. The guy tries to uh, the guy comes in and says, I want you to build me a table. And the guy gives him price to build the table. And he said, well, that's way too much. It's just a table. It's going to, you know, it's going to take you half a day to build this table. You're charging me way too much. I'm going to do it on my own. Okay, you do it on your own. So then he says, well, wait, I don't have any tools. So the guy says, okay, well, I'll rent you my tools for X amount of dollars. Okay. Uh, oh, wait, I don't have any plans to build a table. Well, okay, I can draw you some plans. Let me let me draw them out for you, and I will sell them to you for X amount of dollars. Great. Uh, oh, I don't know how your tools work. Great. I will give you classes in how my tools work. And after all of this, you end up spending more doing it yourself uh, because what you're really paying for is the expertise of your, your consultant or your table builder. Um, but again, don't hire someone to build a table and chairs if all you need is a footstool. So uh, I know that sounds vague, and I think that's why people are, are often hesitant to bring on consultants because they're like, what, why do I need you? What can you do that, uh, that I can't do? I have one client that uh, I said to them last season, I said, look, you can do everything I'm doing for you. And he said, yes, but I don't have the time to, nor do I want to. Big consideration, exactly. Time is money. And if you need, sometimes it's easier to spend money than it is to spend time because you have those 2000 other projects that you're working on. Do you know what causes haunted attractions to shut down before they even get started? The top three roadblocks are lack of funding, lack of leadership, lack of resources. As a member of the Haunters Toolbox, you get instant access to the tools you need to start and grow your own haunted attraction business. To get started, become a member at hauntertoolbox.com.
And when your responsibility is, uh, when your responsibility is to actually run the event, to work on the creative development of that event, um, you may simply just not have the time. And you might as well hire somebody that you trust, that you know you can work with, um, who will do all of that for you. Keep in mind that when you hire a consultant, you can always say, no, fix that. The consultants don't take away any owner or operator's power. They're not trying to usurp the owner-operator. Well, good consultants aren't trying to usurp the owner-operator. And in many cases, consultants are never even recognized for the work that they do. The owner-operator gets all the credit and really makes all the profit. Um, The individual consultant is compensated. Yes, absolutely. But uh, a good good consultant will make their client look better. That's all. Yeah. And like you said, I think a lot of haunters are scared to... You say that we're consultant. They're like, what? Consultant? We don't need one of those guys in here. So it's like, okay, well, none, unless you, I tell people, don't be scared of consultants. Like you were saying, there's different, there's different types of consultants. There might be a set design consultant or build consultant. Mm-hmm. In your experience, you have a little bit of everything. So I'm sure if you come across something that is not covered or you don't know the knowledge on, you'll find a solution to that problem or you'll reach out to somebody that you know and say, well, we can bring this person in. And mm-hmm. I work, for example, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. There is someone that I work with, uh, I used to work with, um, as part of the SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment team. And they have now moved on to a different uh, a different theme park chain and they work in the corporate office. And she called me and she said, Scott, I have no work for you right now, but I need this, this, and this. Who can I call? I was more than happy to say, call so-and-so for this, call such-and-such for this, call so-and-so for that. And um, she did. She said, thank you very much. And you know how much money I made off of that transaction? Zero dollars. But... She then just recently called me and said, hey, Scott, next year we've got this huge plan, this huge project, and I want you to help spearhead it. So, you know, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And the cool thing is, having been in this industry for quite some time, I've worked with a lot of people who know stuff that I don't know. And I'm more than happy to throw work their way because they do the same thing for me. Yep. We do the same thing here. Well, based on that, what what is some of the things that you have done? that you are very proficient at. Give us a little bit about Scott's history in the consulting world. Well, you know, I often said that I could not be a consultant had it not been for my 20 plus years at Bush Gardens in Tampa. Um, what that did for me is as the director of, of creative services for the entertainment department there, I acted as producer, uh, director, writer, uh, casting director, actor, trainer. I got to do all those things in a, on a very large scale. In the last 10 years, um, I've been able to do things like, uh, let me just tell you the ones I can talk about, uh, because that's the other challenge with, that's the other challenge with being a consultant is, you know, not only the project that I'm working on now, but I have past projects that did not come to fruition or have not come to fruition yet that I still can't talk about. Um, But some that I can talk about is, you know, having been brought on, for example, by the Vault of Souls. I don't own the Vault of Souls in Tampa. I am uh, an outside consultant. They bring me on to write, direct um, the the experience. And they told me, here's the loose concept. And I go in and I pitch to them and they say, yay or nay. Usually they say, yay, it's a great client. Um, but, uh, and then I, I go in and I, I do the casting for them. I do the training for them. I've written everything for them. I work with the scenic designers. And sometimes I even go in and do like last minute art direction. I'll go in and do the last layer of, of fine finishing on things. Um, so I, I have a lot of boxes that I check for that one. 
uh, one of my clients in uh, in Houston, Texas, not a haunt client, but is a is a Space Center Houston, and they have brought me in. They bring me in uh, usually twice a year to just to do actor training sessions or presenter training sessions uh, for those ed- for their educators, so that they polish the skills that they have in communication. Uh, other times, they'll have me write a script, and I've written scripts, passed them off, let them work work on them. Um, there are there are some theme parks this past year that I did. Uh, I did nothing but write the the venue flows for haunts for them. I had nothing to do with the installation. And uh, interestingly enough, last year the same client has now come back this year and said, "Now we not only do we want you to write it, but we also want you to work as creative director." So, in other words, I'm going back and working with the scenic designer, the lighting designer, the audio designer to make certain that everything is still in line and stays true to the approved concept. So, basically, the guest experience advocate. Um, Because let's face it, you know, we've all done haunts where we start off with this great idea. And then as it goes, you get what I call content creep and you end up with something. It's like playing telephone. You end up with something that you weren't even close to when you started. Um, And as a creative director, I think that's the role is to find creative solutions to the challenges that don't uh, diminish the quality or the, the content that everybody put hand to Bible on and said, hey, let's do this. So, um, yeah, I, I've done, you know, like I said, I've done a lot of work. I know you asked for specifics. Sorry. Uh, there's, there's the Vault of Souls, um, Zoo Tampa. I am the creative director for both their um, Halloween and Christmas events. Uh, Indie Zoo uh, in Indianapolis. I've done uh, the same kind of work for them. Uh, writer and director for a lot of their uh, spring, fall and winter events. Um I've done some stuff for, uh, I can't tell you what, but I've done some stuff for Cedar Fair Corporate, um, for, uh, specifically about Halloween. And uh, I've got a new project that's coming up for another new client in the Midwest, where I will be the uh, writer and creative director for a new haunt there. Um, so a, a lot of what I do, what I've been doing recently is, as far as consulting, is working as a writer and then following up from helping people work through how do we budget this? How do we um, plan for, you know, they can tell, they can tell me based on our budgetary numbers, we need to have a throughput of X amount. And I can certainly work with them in the design process to make certain that they can reach those numbers. Um, And if they can't try to come up with other ways to generate revenue that may involve culinary merchandise, uh, VIP experiences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, what I, I like to say, I, I have, I have one client, I have one client who hires me by the hour and we'll say, I want you to brainstorm for an hour. And here's here's the basic uh, dossier of the project we're working on. Brainstorm for an hour, send me all of your raw data and that's all I want from you. Because they just want somebody who's an idea person who can just fire ideas at them and then they can take them and expand them. So that's the kind, that's what I mean when I say, uh, you know, I've got Vault of Souls, which I kind of pretty much do everything an owner operator would do except pay for it or worry about the profit loss. Good gig if you can get it. And uh, and then the opposite end, the opposite end of that spectrum is, Scott, I want you to brainstorm on this uh, event or this topic or this um, party idea, grand opening, whatever. Um, I want you to brainstorm for an hour and send me just your raw ideas and then we'll take it from there. So it's right sizing what the client needs with what the consultant provides. You've also written, a, uh, I know you've written a couple of books. Follow the story. Is that the one? Well, yes. Follow the story and the 13, 13 commandments of haunting. Um, both of those were, were published by, um, by Philip Hernandez with, uh, 
uh, Haunted Attraction Network and Gantam Lighting. And um, their follow the story is uh, all about, and it's a short, it's a short, easy read, but it's all about the importance of storytelling and how you can utilize that to forward your, your product and how you can use it to create something that is unique to you. And the 13 commandments of haunting is uh, we're 13 of my most popular uh, episodes of a Scott in the dark um, periodic podcast for haunters, my other podcast. And um, basically what, Philip did was he had them transcribed and then put them out as blog posts. And then we took the 13 most popular and put them almost in an encyclopedia format. So it's, that one's not the kind of book that you sit down and read from cover to cover. Cause if you do, it's, it's a little disjointed and, and kind of hard, but he's done a great thing in putting together an incredible index. So if you want to know my opinions on audio design or my opinions on uh, finding cast members or my opinions on, I did one, I did one whole thing on, on uh, floor texture. You know, I mean, it, those are all easily mapped out in the table of contents. So Philip refers to it as Scott on a shelf. It's kind of like having a, a consultant between, uh, between covers. So is that something that you definitely recommend, um, uh, people starting off with is taking a look at those books, following some of those stuff. And then if they still have questions or, or plans or realize that maybe this is too much for them, come back to you and, and discuss that being a consultant. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, what I, what I have done and what I can do, um, the books are a great place to start. Uh, my podcast is a great place to start. My website is a great place to start. If you just go to scottswenson.com and see the clients that I've worked with, I've got the things that I can publish, I have up there. Um, the one thing that is difficult, and, and and I think consultants need to recognize this, the one thing that is difficult is you have to be willing as a consultant to say, uh, I will never get credit for this. Somebody else will always get credit for it. Um, now, that's not, it always is not always true, is not really true. Um, but it is it is very possible that you will have to sign a contract that says I can never reveal that I worked on this project. Yeah. It happens, and especially with some of my largest projects. So I just get paid and go, okay. <laughs> That's the fun. But you're not one of those people that that brags about it and and needs to put it on their resume because we've seen some of the work that you've done and some of the work that you possibly have done, but we can't confirm. Uh, I, can neither and... con- I can neither confirm nor deny. Yes. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool, the breadth of knowledge that you have. Um, how does that influence then? You've been working on some really big projects. How does that influence what you would do for a small or a home haunt or a charity haunt? Well, one of my clients last year, and and I have their permission to use their name, uh, was Undead in the Water, which is the American Victory Ship in Tampa. And uh, Undead in the Water is a charity haunt. It is a, a 501c3 haunt. It's their largest fundraiser of the year. And um, they, the team there is, is phenomenal. And I help them out in any way that I can simply because I enjoy it. So what I do is I go in and I say, okay, we've got this, this, incredible location. We have this World War II ship floating museum um, that we can we can use. I mean, there's scenic there that I could never afford to rebuild. You know, it's, it's really cool stuff. Um, and I help them craft a story that works with the story that they, or doesn't work against the story they're trying to tell as a museum. So, you know, we're not, we're not going to go into, this is a haunt about the ghosts of Navy battles. 
That's that's the antithesis of what they're trying to say. They want to make sure that American victory, they recognize American victory as um, a, a floating lady who is still working. So um, now she, now what she's doing is she's working to help people understand um, and remember what she did when she was working in the military. Um, so so we have to I, I help them craft stories. I help them cast and I help train their actors. And with that project, you know, my 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 fee becomes right sized, um, although different different clients handle things differently. I don't change my prices based on my client. However, I do. If it's a nonprofit that I believe in, um, I will give back some of my services as an in-kind donation um, with even some of my larger clients. If you book me to do five or six different things or it's a longer project. I will give you a volume discount, but the prices for each individual thing that I do don't fluctuate a whole lot. Um, they are they are based on scope, obviously. You know, uh, uh, writing a, a five room venue flow versus a twenty five room venue flow obviously has a sliding scale. Um, but uh, when I do, you know, when I do write everything, I write in for attractions is considered work for hire. So uh, once I've written it you whoever whoever has purchased it owns it and they can do with it what they will and in fact i even put on there um i do not i I retain with things that i write i retain the right in most cases because there are as we've talked about Mm -hmm. times that i can't do this but i retain the right with the majority of my mid to mid-range to to smaller clients um the right to claim it as a piece of work that i wrote and i also ask that uh if writing credit is given, it is given to me. If it's not given, that's fine. Doesn't have to be there. But you can't say, you can't buy a script from me and then say, I I wrote it. Somebody else wrote it. You know, somebody else takes credit for it. Um, So, you know, sometimes that's, sometimes that's a sticker shock too, by the way, because people don't recognize when you're, when you're buying something that you can use forever, you can continue to make money off it year after year after year, and I will never see another dime. So, you know, you want, you want me to lease it to you? Fine. I can lease you the intellectual property. That's That'll earn me more money in the long run. So anyway, sorry, I went, I started rambling. Um, so one of the things that I'm kind of gathering is having a consultant isn't an investment, not an expense, correct? It isn't. Well, the way I like to consult, you know, I, I often refer to myself as as teach someone to fish. I'm not, I, I would much rather come in and show you how to make your your haunt or your business better. And whether that's as a writer or as a creative director, or even just you know evaluating your current processes and procedures, um, I would much rather you finish a contract with me and go. You know what? I think our team's better because of working with Scott than uh, oh gosh, we can only do this with Scott because I've discovered for me that creates a better long range. Um, it creates a better long range relationship. So I would like I would like my clients to feel as though using me as a consultant is more of a an investment that that keeps giving, as opposed to um, a an expense or a uh, even a, a capital thing. It's an investment in the way they do things and how they do things. Yeah, because there will always be bigger fish and newer newer obstacles and things to they say new level, new devil. So it's a, yeah, yeah, and if and and what is a fire to put out? 
So. Exactly. And if, and if they are satisfied with me as a consultant, then they will be, they will come back to me to dump the bucket. Right. So we have Vic on and uh, we were, before we got on here, we were talking about him incorporating his uh, backstory into his design. Um, mm-hmm. we, can get him, we can get him on in a little bit and talk about it. Um, but what's your biggest thing as a consultant seeing people trying to incorporate their backstory in their into their design because it's so hard to do and to get the customers aware of it, your actors involved in it. Do you have any tips and tricks on how to do that? Um, well, yes, I've got a book full. It's called Follow the Story. Um, but the but to be completely honest, in in all, if I'm going to try to narrow it down, I've had a lot of people say I don't have time. I don't have the time to invest in creating a good story. And my response is you don't have the time not to invest in a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, a good story helps guide you. It it shouldn't, a really good story shouldn't make things more difficult. It should actually make them easier. So your decisions are made for you because you know, well, this fits in the story and this contributes to the story. And then when you get your actors trained, if they know the story, then your training of them gets much simpler because they know where they fit in the overarching scheme of things. And your guest experience goes through the roof because instead of it just being a, what I call walking the trade show floor style haunt, you actually have something bigger. You have something more impactful that they will remember for a longer period of time. Now, is it important for those customers to explicitly know that story or can you get away with all of your team developing that story without explaining it to the customers? I think that I think that if you have a strong story, your customers will know that you have a strong story. They may not have all the details that your your actors have, um, but I, I think a story provides the structure. The analogy I've used in the past is uh on Christmas morning, people will come downstairs and go, look, isn't that a beautiful Christmas tree? But if you don't have a good sturdy structure inside to hold all those ornaments, it's just boxes of ornaments. So you have to have the structure to to create and hang all the, the cool stuff, you know, hang your special effects, hang your makeup design, hang your lighting, hang your scenic. If it all is cohesively put together in a structure, then the guests will recognize it is a strong structure. They may not know every detail of the story, just like you don't know every single branch of a Christmas tree. But without the tree, you have no structure. Does that make any sense at all? Oh, it very much does. It's just, I don't know, because we're talking about Christmas trees, if we're going to have to censor this for a Halloween podcast. But the theory is is perfect. <laughs> valid. Valid. <laughs> the Vic, uh, um, you can come on anytime you want, if you wanted to ask Scott specific questions about your backstory as well um but yeah i, I well running the dead factor for seven years we tried to incorporate dr phobia into the story as much as possible mm-hmm. and there were those certain questions you know there were there were certain customers that had dr phobia picked out and who he was and what he did I'm not sure exactly you think a lot of people knew that he was a neurosurgeon who took the patient's and did experiments on these patients and their phobias came to life and they all took over the haunted house, but our actors knew that. So we, mm-hmm. we would go to, and I would give them room to play. And I would say, this is who you are. You know, this is what I would like to see out of you, but I'd never hold them to it. You know, a, a standard to say, this is what you have to say. So it was always, it was always in motion. It was always developing into something else. And when maybe in that season, that room might've been completely something different because I realized my actor was better at something else. So then we would switch it up a little bit. Sure. The overall arcing theme of the story was a doctor who did all these crazy experiments and there's different phobias throughout the house. 
Well, and the nice thing, the nice thing about having a strong story too, when it comes to the actor side, because again, that's where my career started. I started as an actor and director. That's where I thought I was going to go many, many, many years ago. And, uh, so I think having a strong story automatically puts up those basic guardrails and provides structure for your actors. You know, if they know the story and they know the relationships between the different characters in the haunt, um, and they can be real simple relationships like, oh, you're in a, you represent another phobia or you represent another phobia, or they're real complex relationships like, oh, wait, we're cousins, but we're only cousins because of some horrible, you know, uh, solicit uh, some some sort of inappropriate thing that happened between me and a werewolf. I don't know, but those kinds of, uh, those kinds of connections really help an actor and it gives them something to play off of so that they're not just dropping a door and shouting, get out, which by the way, I fire people for, but, uh, cause I, that's my biggest pet peeve. Uh, so it's one of those situations where if they, it gives them variety, it gives them different ways to do startle scares because they know the story and they know where they fit in that story. You know, um, the story only reinforces everything else you do. Right. It's kind of like an outline to follow. For- Absolutely. It's, it's the, the, the story acts as the jungle gym that, that the actors and designers can play on. It gives oh. it structure. I'm liking all your analogies. I, I can- well, that one's better than the Christmas tree one, I think, because, you know. <laughs> Just coming from trans world, though, that's appropriate. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the first year I didn't go to trans world in 20 some years. I know we missed it's- you. I know. I miss being there. I miss being there. It was one heck of a flight, though. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I couldn't quite have made it. No. I have an expensive flight, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I've discovered that with with layovers, it's about 24 hours door to door from here to Tampa. So. Well, it took me 26 hours this year from Canada because my flight was delayed and, and my connection got canceled. And there was only one flight from Toronto to St. Louis on my airline. And they so. lost your luggage. Oh, dear. You and they lost my luggage. Yeah, it got left in Toronto. At zero. But it was waiting, but, on, it was waiting for you when you got back on the plane. The, yeah, when I got to the airport on the Monday morning, uh, leaving St. Louis, my luggage had finally made it. So. so you could take it home with you. That's nice. Yeah, and it did make it home. So I'm thankful for that. At least I didn't have to spend another day on the way home. But I can't imagine coming from overseas to... Uh, and travel tip, uh, he used an uh, Apple AirPod. AirTag. AirTag. And put on his mm-hmm. luggage so he tracked it. Yeah, so I looked at my phone as we were pulling out, taxing away. And it's like, <laughs> um, excuse me, my luggage is still back there. Yep. And Victor said you didn't have to do laundry. That's right. I just had... well. I was smart enough when I found out my outbound flight was going to be delayed. It's like, if it's delayed, they're going to lose my luggage. I know this is a problem. Grabbed an extra carry-on and uh, filled it full of um, socks and t-shirts and underwear uh, just so I had enough to last the week, you know? So I have a carry-on that was just things that helped me not stink. And then when I get there, you know, you you can't take... You can't take all still all your fluids and stuff. So I had to buy pit stick and, and you know, extra toothpaste because I had a full brand new tube in my luggage. But no, you can't take that. Right. Yeah. Yep. Learn to live right. a little different. Learn to travel with as much carry on as possible. <laughs> well, it's funny because I one of the one of the suggestions for for international travel, um, especially if you're coming to a place like Abu Dhabi, which is. Uh, like a shopper's mecca. It's like a probably shouldn't use that analogy. It's like a shopper's paradise. Um, the uh, they say pack light and buy everything here, including a suitcase to take stuff home. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't quite do that, but I totally understand why they say that, because there is nothing that I could ever possibly need that I couldn't pick up here for uh, the same price or less than I could I could get it back home. So uh, it, it I get it. I totally get it. And even when I travel internationally, in my carry-on, I have three extra pairs of underwear. I have two extra pairs of socks, a change of shirt, um, just in case, you know, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I took a week's worth because... I knew crap was going to happen, but mm-hmm. air tags are a wonderful thing. Even though I think there's some airports that have uh, uh, told you you're not allowed to have them. So that way you can catch them doing things wrong. Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> right. So, so say we got a new haunt or a home haunt or um, something that's scared of consultants. They hear the word consultant and they're scared. Mm-hmm. What advice do you give them? Just uh, start off small, small project. Test the waters. Talk. Talk to a consultant. And don't ask them, don't ask a consultant, well, so what can you do for me? Ask them, hey, can you do this? Or, hey, I've got this challenge. Is there anything you could do? Is there anything you could do that would make this easier? Um, I had several years ago, I actually had a booth at Transworld. And I did have somebody come up and say, consultant, huh? Hmm. So what can you do for me? What do you sell me? And I said, well, what do you need? Ah, don't give me that. You're just going to tell me what you want to, what I want to hear. I said, no, if you don't need anything, if your haunt is running exactly the way you want it, you see no room for improvement, you don't need a consultant. Don't hire me. Um, so keep in mind, I think the most important thing to remember is, especially if you are a small haunt or really any size haunt, you're still in control. You're never going to have a consultant who's going to come in and take over your business. You can always say, nope, I don't need that. Or nope, I don't want that. Um, a good consultant will write out a contract that will have a, a clear scope of work explaining, here's what you're going to get. Here are the deliverables you're going to get. Here's how you're going to get them. And if you're looking to be a consultant, you should also include things like pay scale as to when you're going to get paid, how you're going to get paid, um, and what your deliver clearly what your deliverables are and what that timeline looks like. So, you know, Everything is pretty straightforward and laid out there when you're working with a reputable company. And I think that's true with pretty much anything, whether you're you're selling, um, you know, whether you're selling Scarab badges, which you guys do very well, or whether you're selling um, ideas and concepts. You know, you have to have it spelled out and you have to make it so that everybody feels comfortable with the deal. Um, if you're if you're an independent haunt and you can find a consultant, I mean, like, for example, to be completely honest, I cannot take another client for the 23 season. And I'm starting to book up for 24 already as well. Um, But if you can find a consultant who is willing to do a small job and say, you know, maybe you say, um, here's my haunt, here's my final room, but I don't like it. Can you give me three, what would it cost me to give you, have you give me three ideas for changing that final room to make it impactful? You know, maybe that's a good dip your toe in the water with a consultant. Um, Maybe you were, maybe you want to first work with a marketing consultant. Maybe you first want to work with uh, an outside actor trainer. You know, all of these are considered consultants. But ultimately, if you can't identify what you need, a consultant won't help you. You are still, as the owner-operator, in charge. You are still in control. Now, once you hire a consultant, I always recommend take what they have to offer, listen to it, process it, and then you can choose whether you want to implement it or not. You know, um, because there are... I'll be completely honest. There are consultants out there from what my clients have told me that are not very good or don't give them what they need. 
or give them what they want to give them as opposed to what they need. Uh, so I think it's important to recognize, have those discussions early, clearly identify your needs, get in writing what the consultant can do for you, how much it's going to cost you and what deliverables you will get in the end and who owns that information. Those are the important things to kind of keep in mind. Now, one of the things you've touched on is scope. So both from the client and the consultant side, how do we avoid scope creep? Well, I think one of the ways that I will do it is I will clearly spell out in my agreement with my clients, I will say, like if I'm writing something new, I will say, this includes up to three drafts of this script. So we know that the first time I write it, client reads it and they go, okay, we like this. We don't like this. We like this. We don't like this. I reinforce the things that they like in the second draft and I get rid of the things or replace the things that they don't like. So that's the second draft. The third draft is usually there just in case all of a sudden, oh, you know that 5,000 square foot uh, clear span building that we thought we had? We now have a 2,500 uh, square foot building that has columns and posts in the middle. All right. So now the third draft is based on practicality. We can still, how do we distill this down, make it all fit, keep the same concept, keep the same story, but tell it in a much smaller space. That's usually the third draft. After that, you go into renegotiations. Um, now, sometimes, sometimes there are clients who say, can you give me five drafts? Yes. But obviously that takes more time. That takes more creative thinking. Um, that's, that is additional, that's an additional fee, whether you use them or not. Because again, you have to commit. I have to commit my time to my clients as I sign the contracts. So hopefully, you know, I, if, if I do my job well, I have extra time. And if I don't do my job well, then I fill up every second of that time. So it's it's one of those challenges. But I think I think the important thing with scope and scope creep is making certain that how that scope creep happens is on writing before you ever start. That just protects both sides. And you know, people often say, "Don't don't ever do business with friends." It's fine to do business with friends. Just make sure that you have on paper what those expectations are, so that your business life does not inter impact negatively impact your friendship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, found that out. It's best I've ever. Uh, I think we all have. Yeah. I think we all have. And it's and it's unfortunate because, you know, there's some there's some great friends out there who you, you think oh, we'll do this on a handshake and uh, handshake and a, and a discussion over beer. Um, but then talk about scope creep. That's scope non-existence because nobody understands exactly what you're doing. <clears throat> it's true. Well, I appreciate your uh, your holistic view and how you do everything. It's kind of you're asking more questions, and I think that's how a consultant should be. And I know I understand other some consultants have more experience, and you have a lot of different experiences and a lot of different things. So that's it's good just to tap your brain and because you know a lot of things. So well, and 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 again, I I think. <laughs> I think what I bring to the table as a consultant is the fact that I do have a unique perspective. I have the perspective of, well, <clears throat> from being from my years in theme park, although I wasn't specifically an owner operator, I had to be responsible for the same things owner operators are responsible for. I had to make sure that things were uh, successful on time, on budget. You know, I get that side of it. Then over the last 10, uh, nine and a half years, <clears throat> I've been on the other side. I've been on the consultant side. So I've been able to, to, come in and and refine and learn a little bit from that end as well. So I've got the I, I've got kind of a, a almost 
multiple personality point of view, you know, I can look at it and say, well, this is, this is what's going to make sense from a business standpoint. And this is what's going to make sense from a creative standpoint. And then trying to find a way to communicate and translate those two sides. Daryl, you have more questions for Scott or Vic? I think I've got most of the questions or if not all of the questions, I can't think of anything else at the moment. Uh, Victor, do you have any, anything that you'd like to ask that we haven't asked yet? Haven't covered. Mine would be, yeah. Mine would be more, um, towards uh, the mm. way decor of uh, hunt, uh, vault, vault of Souls, excuse me. I'm have, my home haunt is based on, say, 1910 to 1930s World War I Prohibition era. Oh, cool. That's what I'm trying. And finding decor from that time I'm, and information, it seems like it's the forgotten era to me. It, it is. You're absolutely right. Anytime anybody takes on the challenge of doing a historic haunt, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is the first challenge that comes to my mind is uh, costumes and props. Um, because if you're if you're going to try to remain as true as possible, um, you either have to spend a bunch on antiques or have a really clever um, hand in in prop building or costume alteration. Uh, because what really sells, in my opinion, what really sells a time period is uh, well, there's a couple things. Um, the cheap one is music. Make sure that all of your, your soundtrack, your audio tracks have the vibe of the era that you're trying to recreate because that's the cheap one. You can always find that on, on, uh, iTunes. You know, you can always find music of the era on iTunes and you can find some that's pretty creepy. And with, with something as simple as, um, there's a program called audacity, which I like to use only because I'm not very smart and it I can do a lot of things with it, but you can do audio editing and you can slow stuff down and speed stuff up and add extra static and, you know, kind of muck it up to make it sound old and wretched. Um, but so then you can take existing and especially if you're doing something historic, you can take existing public domain music, put it into audacity, adjust it to where you want it. And then that helps you set the time period. Um, another thing that I think helps set a time period is making certain your actors understand the language of the time period. Mm. Um, because, you know, the moment somebody, if you're doing something that's, that's happening in, uh, in 1910 and somebody says, Hey, that's cool. Uh, chances are good. They've just taken you out of the realm. You're no longer in that era. Uh, so it's, those are the, those are the two cheap things that I think help you with, uh, with establishing a, a period. Um, and then costumes and props, I think would be the, the second most important scenic, um, a, a depending on what your storyline is, and I don't know, Vic, so I'm sorry. But um, if you if you're doing a bombed out church, a bombed out church is going to look the same in 1910 as it did in 1970 as it does today. It may just have a few more walls that have crumbled and some extra vines. So um, depending on the story, scenic may not be as essential to maintaining that uh, that time period. Now there are those people who say it's not important to maintain the time period. But I will say it does help with the startle factor, because if you can take people out of the world or the time period that they're in now, it gives them another distraction. Mm -hmm. And it's it's sort of the, hey, look over here so I can scare you from here. You know, um, yeah, I that's that is a, that is a challenge, my friend. And I, I commend you for taking it on. I um, with Vault of Souls, when we decided to do 1920s, the whole reason we decided to do 1920s is because that's where the building that it, it's set in was built. And uh, so we could actually, we actually took 
some of the the urban legend and stories of the area and of the building uh, downtown Tampa in the 20s and incorporated it into our storyline when I wrote it. Um, But then I had a phenomenal costumer, which helped significantly. And we were able to make things look very period, very 1920s. Um, And one of the characters, one of the challenges that I wrote for them is one of the characters in the Vault of Souls is a dominatrix. Uh, because Tampa in the 20s was considered sort of uh, the wild frontier. Um, it was the end of the train line. That's as far as you could go on the train when you were headed south in the U.S. And uh, so there were a lot of gangsters who would bring money to Tampa and uh, then send it off to Cuba or um, other places outside the U.S. to, in essence, launder the money. <clears throat> so... There was a lot of gambling. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of uh, prostitution going on in Tampa in the twenties, and of course, you know, uh, uh, bootleg gin and and the speakeasy was was in its heyday, and uh, Tampa was no exception. So uh, when you, it was a great way to to create this unique environment where we could create startles and scares. Excellent. Is that still in operation, Scott? Are they still doing that? So it, we took we took two years off over COVID. And uh, we did something, we did an alteration of it called the Garden of the Garden of Souls. And uh, we did it all up in the outdoor courtyard and in the, the vault itself. And then uh, this past, let's see, the past two years, it's been in full operation. And I, before I came here to Abu Dhabi, I signed the agreement for next, for the, for 23 as well. So it will be there in the 23 season as well. And the nice thing with them is I actually do three different events for them. Um, I do... A, uh, a summer event that we just started this past year um, called the Vault of Dreams. And it's a it's a performance-based cocktail party that's all based on Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, but it's my twisted version of it. So um, that's really fun. And then Vault of Souls, and then I do a New Year's Eve party for them as well. Nice. Be one, to, one show to catch, definitely. It's, uh, I, I'm very proud. I am very proud of it. And what's really interesting and, and what's made it so easy for me to continue to do is I keep bringing the same cast members back uh, in the same roles. And that this will be your, well, this will be, it's nine years since we started. So uh, it's, it's interesting because they're, they're bringing new levels. They've actually tweaked the stories a little bit, built some new relationships. And then I always try to add a new character each year a new character or two each year to play around in the, in the nonlinear, because it's a nonlinear experience. So I, I have rooms, but they don't always go in the same order for the guests. So everybody has to understand the story so that they're all contributing to the same end result. Yeah. Story is very important in this. For that one. Yeah. yeah especially yeah. for that one. Right. So tell us, tell everybody where they can find you. If they want to follow you, stalk you, listen to you, hire you. <laughs> and read your uh, books. And read my books. Well, the books. Um, so I've got the the two books on on haunted attractions, and then I've got four books of dark poetry and prose. So if you just want to see what kind of twisted stories I like to tell, um, all of these are available on Amazon. Um, the most my most recent book. So there's. Let me just do the names. Uh, there is uh, follow the story, thirteen commandments of haunting, and then my most recent book of dark poetry and prose is called Awake in the Dark. And if you just search these on Amazon, uh, you'll find them. Or, you, yeah, Amazon's probably the best. Um, then I, I do have uh, two different podcasts that I do on a semi-regular basis. Uh, I've got Green Tag Theme Park in 30, which I co-host with Philip Hernandez, and that comes out weekly. And then I've got my own podcast called A Scott in the Dark, periodic podcast for haunters. And that comes out 
whenever I get around to it. <clears throat> and uh, those are the, the format for those are um, basically when I have a, a, a topic that I want to cover my last, my last uh, episode, for example, was on uh, how to pitch new ideas. And uh, it, it, that one got, I, I got a lot of response from that one. So I'm very happy That's with good. that. I liked it. And um, then, and if, if all else fails, you can just go to my website, scottswenson.com. And you can see my clients. I've got some photos of some stuff that I've done um, and how to reach me. You can just click on contact me and that kind of thing. So that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm easy to find. And Victor wants to know if you're coming to Midsummer Scream this year. <coughs> oh, I hope so. Um, I love, I love Midsummer Scream, uh, Midsummer Night Scream, or Midsummer Scream. I, it's, it's so much fun. It is so much fun. Um, I didn't go, I wasn't able to go last year and I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to go this year, but I'm certainly going to try. I'm sure Vic will be there. It's one of my, it's, that is by far one of my favorite shows just because it's the right blend of uh, trade show and fan show. So we were discussing earlier with Victor, how is it different from Midwest and trans world and, and, you know, the, the show in Oregon? The... Um, like I said, it's, it's got, well, I've always said that people who are who work in the Honda industry are actually fan fanboys, fangirls, fan people. Um, so I think Midwest, or I, I think Midsummer uh, captured that and recognized how to create this amalgam of things that are just plain fun to do for people who love Haunt, um, while also integrating the 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 trade show side. Um, you know, Trans World, Trans World is still the granddaddy of trade shows there's you know i know there's been others out there but they they are the the the, the granddaddy of all trade shows and they um it, it brings together people from you know all different areas of the haunt world and now the christmas world and the and the escape room world and midwest is significantly more from my experience significantly more education based and is a great i think i think midwest is a great place for the home to uh I always say the the home to independent haunter. Um, You'll see fewer and fewer of like the big theme park haunts at Midwest, but you will see them at Transworld. And then other shows, you know, I've been to, I've been to pretty much all of them. Uh, Everything from um, CHEC, is that still happening? I don't even know whether CHEC is still happening. I think it's coming out this year. Okay, good. I won't be there, but I'm glad it's happening. Um, But I've done, you know, I've done, I I do the smaller trade shows as well. I'm not, I am not by any stretch of the imagination a a trade show snob. I don't uh, I don't say, well, I'll go to this one, but I won't go to that one. Uh, I'll go to any of them. I'm I'm cheap and easy. I'll go to any of them. I think they're fun. Yeah, I think they all have a purpose too. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time. I know it's uh, probably getting late over there. Being not what time is it here? It's yeah, it's quarter quarter to nine, yeah. quarter to nine p.m. here. Right. <laughs> Victor, uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope this was helpful for you, Victor. Well, uh, thanks everybody for asking questions. Thanks, Scott, for your time and Vic for your questions. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch you around the uh, interwebs or trade shows, Scott, somewhere when you get back into the States. I'm like a bad penny. I turn up everywhere. Yeah. Say, <laughs> first time I met you was at Hong Kong. I think it was, uh, it was either Alabama. Did you go to Alabama, Hong Kong? I did. Yep. That's the first time I'd I'd seen you. I'd I met you there. So it was that was yep. that was a good time. Good time there too. Oh, it was. That was a that was a great show. That particular was a great show. That was a lot of yeah, fun. Heck of a party. So <laughs> Yep. All right, guys. I'm signing off. Appreciate you. We'll see you next time. Thanks Bye, a lot, everybody. everybody. Bye. So did you learn anything new from Scott there, Brian? Yes, I learned uh 
consultants aren't scary. You know, that's uh, I've always been, a, I'm the type of person that I think I can, not that I know it all, but it's hard for me to ask for help, you know? So, but when I've talked, I met Scott at Hong Kong several years ago, and I've never, ever had that impression with him that I was wasting his time, you know, or that I was, I should be scared of him because it's not about that. It's about helping everybody in the industry, whether you're a consultant, if you're a designer, you're an actor, you're an owner, we always have, we always be learning from, you know, each other and doing something together um, and making it better. So exactly. It's the way it should be. That's what we try to do with our, you know, webinars and podcasts and shows. We try to make it better for everyone. Yep. Today's episode was edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. Support for today's episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. From Dark Hour to Netherworld, Super Mario Land to Hagrid's Bike, Gantam goes where other fixtures can't. See what you're missing with a free demo? Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. The HAN team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Until next time, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.